I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. I will nominate Judge Clarence Thomas to serve as Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. That's when all heck broke loose. To help you guys. I do. Judge Thomas began to use work situations to discuss sex. Not at all sure that Clarence Thomas is going to survive this. As a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching. Hey, come on. We know what this is all about. This is the wrong black guy. He has to be destroyed. Just say it. On this episode of Newt's World, few knew Justice Clarence Thomas beyond his contentious U.S. Supreme Court confirmation battle in 1991. But behind the headlines, Thomas's life is a classic American tale. He was born poor in the segregated South, only to become one of the most influential justices in the highest court of the land. As the Supreme Court is poised for imminent landmark rulings, a new book provides an exclusive interview with Justice Clarence Thomas, the court's most senior justice. The book is based on many hours of interviews that were not included in the award-winning film, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. It is the longest interview ever given by any sitting Supreme Court justice. Justice Thomas weighs in on hot-button issues such as abortion and affirmative action, Joe Biden, and the unending attacks leveled against him over 40-plus years of public service. Here to talk about his new book and the companion film, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Michael Pack. He is a documentary filmmaker, president of Manifold Productions, former CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. In addition to Created Equal, 
He's produced over 15 documentaries for public television. Michael, welcome and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. And I should mention, you work with Mark Paletta on both the documentary and the book. Thank you, Newt. A great introduction. Well, the book is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or anywhere else. And the film, too, is streaming on Amazon and Fox Nation and Newsmax and many other sites, which your listeners can find on our website, ManifoldProductions.com. I have to ask Justice Thomas has been sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court since he took the oath of office on October 23, 1991, almost 31 years ago. Why do you think he felt it was important for him to do this interview now? Well, the whole process began when friends of Justice Thomas's, mutual friends of ours, were getting tired of having his enemies define his legacy. We started the process several years ago when HBO was just coming out with a movie called Confirmation with Kerry Washington as Anita Hill, another attack on Justice Thomas. And people really thought it was time for him to get his story out. He had written a memoir, but he hadn't used the medium of film and television to get his story out, and it had been a while since the memoir. So they really wanted to get his story out. At the time, I didn't know that much about Justice Thomas's story. But as you know, Newt, you only have to meet him once to know that he has a great life story. You summed it up in the introduction, and there's a lot more to it. You know, He had a radical period where he rejected a lot of his core values only to come back to them, and the endless attacks on the left. So it's a great story, and I eventually realized he was the one to tell it. So The film is based on him looking right to camera and telling his own personal story from the beginning, as you say, in the segregated South to the Supreme Court. And it's only a two-hour film, and we had conducted 25-plus hours of interviews with Justice Thomas and another five or six with his wife, Ginny. So not all that material is in the film, and a lot of people wanted to hear more. So the book has 95% new material that hasn't been in the film. And you hear about him talk about many of the topics you listed in the introduction. So it's a good moment to be releasing the book at this moment when the Supreme Court is under particularly high scrutiny. Callista showed her affection and her respect for Justice Thomas when she was approved by the Senate to be the ambassador to the Vatican. You end up with two swearing-ins. One is administrative and immediate, and the other is ceremonial in the Oval Office with the president whenever his schedule permits. And... She really wanted Justice Thomas to administer the initial swearing-in. I went with her, and he took about 30 minutes and sat and chatted about his life, talked about when he was young, the pressure in the community to not study, to not read, and the whole process of ending up where he ended up. So I have great affection both for Justice Thomas and for his wife, Ginny, who I knew back when she was working for Dick Army in the house and worked with over the years. And I think it's really remarkable that you made this film. You've been a great and and very effective filmmaker. But I'm curious, you know, of all the people they could have worked with, they wisely picked you. But how did that come together? How did you and Justice Thomas end up deciding this? And then to get him to do over 30 hours of tape is just astonishing. I'm curious, how did you get that to happen? Well, I mean, actually, there are not that many right-of-center filmmakers that have a big career. I have, as you said, over 15 films on PBS. I'm pleased they chose me. I'm not sure how that happened. It did take a while 
and it was gradual to get Justice Thomas to agree to a long interview. My co-author, Mark Paoletta, and I pre-interviewed a bunch of people, and it didn't really seem like anyone else could really tell his story. And it would end up having to be, we'd have to have two sides of every issue, from affirmative action to abortion to everything else, to the hearing itself. And I thought his voice would be lost. And it was really his voice that I wanted to preserve. I mean, you and Callista are, of course, lucky to have spent a half hour with him, but a lot of Americans haven't had that experience. So I wanted the film and now the book to give Americans, whatever their politics, the chance to have that kind of time with Justice Thomas. So I made the case and he agreed. I don't think until he was actually doing it that he realized it would be such a burden. But Justice Thomas, if he says he's going to do something, he sticks to it. In the film, we have his mother say that when he was born, he was too stubborn to cry. And as Justice Thomas says, and that's been true since. And so he agreed to do it. So he did it. I'm curious, just to take an aside, you've had over 15 films shown on PBS. Given that you are a solid conservative and that you tend to make films that are, I think, widely received by conservatives, how have you managed to survive in that environment? Well, PBS is the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which gets the federal monies from Congress that goes to public television and public radio, is committed to fund programs that reflect the views of the American people across the political spectrum. I believe conservatives should get PBS and NPR to try to live up to that if they're going to continue to get federal money. In my own case, I've been doing it for many years. And I have to say that this film, PBS's support, was fabulous. And their support was great from the beginning. The president of PBS, Paula Kerger, met with us. I mean, I'm lucky I've been around a long time. I know her. She right away saw that it was a valuable program and their support never wavered. And I have to say their support for this film has been higher than any other previous film I have ever made, for whatever reason. So I believe it's possible for conservatives to get their films on public television if there's backing from Congress and others that demand the PBS you know, live up to its legal obligations. A little bit harder with NPR, in my opinion, but still important to do. But ironically, well, PBS, which most conservatives would regard as liberal, Amazon, which is a commercial institution and a private one, actually canceled the movie during Black History Month in February 2021, which apparently people reacted to, I think, with a sense of real surprise. Tell us about that. And is it back on Amazon? It is back, but it's an interesting story. So the film came out just before the pandemic. It was in a lot of movie theaters, 110 movie theaters. And then the pandemic sort of cut that short. And it was on PBS in May of that year. And then it was released digitally in the fall. And it had been on Amazon. It was on Amazon for a while, then Amazon Prime. And then in February, Black History Month, two Februarys ago, they canceled it without any notice. I mean, whatever you think of Justice Thomas's politics, he is one of the two or three most important black men in America, however you want to count that. It was outrageous to take it off their platform. And many, many people complained. Jason Riley wrote a very good piece about it in the Wall Street Journal. Many prominent people wrote to Amazon, nothing. We heard nothing. And then 19 senators wrote a letter led by Tom Cotton to Jeff Bezos, and we finally got a response. They claimed that it was just taken off due to the algorithm. Many others came off, but they didn't put it back after attention was called until 
that letter and follow up to that letter. And then they finally put it back this past February again without fanfare. But I think it shows you that in the culture wars, we have to sort of stick up for our side. That's the point. On the left fights for their films and television and creative work, and we do not. We often have the power and the funding to do it, and we simply do not use that. And this is a case study in how that could work. And it's a case study that our stories can get out there since the film was very successful, and I hope the book will be too. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
you know, since you spent over 30 hours interviewing Justice Thomas and his wife, Jenny, I'm curious, what surprised you the most? Well, I knew his whole life story, of course, before the interview. But what was surprising, really, and moving, it was what was moving and hearing it from him directly, was his resilience in the face of tremendous difficulties all his life long. I mean, he was born in Pinpoint in a Gullah-speaking part of Georgia. English not his first language. His father left before he could remember. His mother, after taking them to Savannah and to dire poverty, couldn't raise them, left them with his grandfather to raise. I mean, one difficulty after another. And to say nothing, you know, culminating in some ways in his extremely contentious confirmation hearing. But just as Thomas has resilience. He comes back from these things. He does not capitulate and give up. And hearing that directly from him is inspiring. And that's sort of what I came away with. I mean, really struck by. Could you explain for the listeners what Gullah is? Well, in the part of Georgia where Justice Thomas grew up, it was called Pinpoint. They spoke a dialect that was really based on African languages called Gullah, sometimes called Geechee. And I've heard that it's spoken, it, it, it cannot really be understood. It's a very rich cultural environment. But growing up there, although it gave Clarence Thomas a lot, also imposed this language thing where he had to eventually master English and then master standard English. He was about seven or eight in Pinpoint, and then they moved to Savannah. But those are very formative years for language formation. Here he is with a remarkably challenging childhood. And as I understand it, it really was his grandparents who made the difference and who really began to profoundly change his whole approach to life and his whole approach to who he could become. Yeah, that's right. After his mother took them to Savannah and found she didn't have the resources to raise her two sons, she left them with her father and his wife to raise. And just as Thomas always said, that's what turned his life around. His grandfather gave him hard work and discipline he had become a Catholic, unusual for an African-American in those days. He sent them to parochial schools. And the nuns, too, gave them discipline, hard work, a very solid curriculum. And Justice Thomas changed his life. And for a while, he wanted to be a priest. He entered the seminary, and he was going to be a priest until he experienced the racism of the late 60s. And when he was in seminary watching TV news coverage of the death of Martin Luther King, one white seminarian said, I'm glad that SOB died. And for Justice Thomas, that was really the end of it. And he really thought the church wasn't doing enough. And that is when he rejected everything his grandfather and the nuns stood for and went through his black radical period, where, as he said, race and racism explained everything, perhaps something a lot of people can understand today. And his grandfather kicked him out of the home, and it took him a while to get back to those values. And that's part of the story, too. But when he did get back to the values, he then did something very radical for an African-American in his generation. And that is, he decided to vote for Ronald Reagan. What motivated that kind of transition? It took a while, right? He went to Holy Cross undergraduate and then Yale Law School. It took all that process. And then working for John Danforth as attorney general in Missouri. Through that whole process, he had to sort of think through the problems with the leftism that he had embraced. He was inspired by people like Thomas Sowell. He read Ayn Rand. He had personal experiences that made him see the flaws of the left. I think one transformative experience was when he went to an anti-war rally in Cambridge 
while he was an undergraduate and it turned into a riot and he got caught up in the riot in the spirit of the moment and he didn't care about anything and he got into the violence of it and he was just horrified at what it had done to his soul and when he got back to holy cross even though he had fallen away from his catholic faith he went to the chapel and prayed to god to take the anger out of his heart and that was the beginning of the change i mean to see where radical progressive ideas led to both intellectually and emotionally but it wasn't until 1980 that he could vote for Ronald Reagan and a few years later go to work for him. And as soon as he did, he was marked. Juan Williams wrote a piece about him early on and talked about how unusual it was for an African-American to vote for Ronald Reagan and oppose things like affirmative action that they were not supposed to oppose. And from then on, the left was after him, You know, from the early 80s to today, to attacks on Ginny. When he accepts a job at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, He's clearly a conservative, but his very existence is a mortal threat to the left because you cannot have an intelligent, articulate black conservative. And in that context, we're already seeing the left become more and more savage. The process of destroying Judge Bork when he was nominated to the Supreme Court is sort of the preview of how tough it'll be on Clarence Thomas. I think that is exactly right. And Justice Thomas studied the Bork hearings, but it was a replay in the first part of Thomas's hearings. They were after him for everything, especially Roe, but affirmative action and everything else. And he withstood that. And the Senate Judiciary Committee, led by Joe Biden in a Democratic Senate, split. The committee split. They sent the 6-6 and they sent his nomination forward. And because that didn't work, then they pulled out Anita Hill, who came forward with her allegations of sexual harassment. And that new model is what they used again with Kavanaugh. But it was clear that the politics of personal destruction had replaced the politics of ideas. And in many ways, I mean, Bork was brilliant, but in many ways, as a symbol of dramatic change, Clarence Thomas was a much greater threat. And as you point out, I mean, he is one of the most influential African-Americans of his generation. And that, of course, drives the left crazy. In that context, and I remember because I was serving in the House at the time, I remember watching when he took the committee head on and he talked about the equivalent of a televised lynching. That must have taken unbelievable courage. It really did. I mean, he talks about it in both the film and the book. And it's an amazing moment. After the first part of the hearings, which was more like a traditional hearing, but very aggressive, they thought it was over when the committee voted. And he was spent. He was tired. He'd given his all. As he said, it was like running a marathon. And then when the marathon's over, they say, oh, wait a second, you got to run another marathon. So there was really nothing left. And he was advised by his advisors not to attack the committee. You want these people to vote for him, you don't attack them. But he did not think it was about winning or losing the nomination. He felt his honor was at stake. He felt he was defending his grandfather and his grandfather's values. And he, against advice, gave that very moving high-tech lynching speech that you refer to that we all remember, refusing to kowtow to the charges. And as you correctly say, the beginnings of the politics of personal destruction. And we've seen it many times since. And it was very powerful, and it convinced the American people. I think otherwise he wouldn't have been confirmed. 
they supported him two to one after that speech, including African Americans, including women. At the time, my sense was that a significant number of his so-called advisors would have encouraged him to withdraw his name after her attack. I've heard that many people encouraged George H.W. Bush to withdraw his name. And I think it's a great testament to President Bush that he did not. I mean, Justice Thomas had some staunch supporters in the White House, like Boyd and Gray. But President Bush made his own choice, and he stood by him, and against a lot of pressure. I mean, it would have been easy to withdraw his name. Justice Thomas says he didn't even consider for a moment quitting. That would be conceding, in his mind, the truth of those allegations, and it would have run counter to every principle in his whole life. But I assume George H.W. Bush did consider it and decided not to, an act of courage on his part, too. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is one of the places where you are really a pioneer in Created Equal. Clarence Thomas, in his own words, in the film you made, he has since become the senior justice. I mean, the worst possible nightmare of the left. He has survived. He's risen in authority. I think in many ways, he may be the most influential single member of the Trump court, which is a very different court than the one he first joined. Do you have this sense that he is aware of the gravitas he now carries? I think he is. I mean, some people call it the Thomas Court, even though that kind of designation usually goes to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. So in this case, it would be a Roberts Court. 
But the people who call it a Thomas court do that because they think he is the intellectual leader of the court and in some ways its most powerful and significant member. Surely he is its senior member. So I think this is really his moment. I think he is aware that a lot is riding here and that there's a lot of attention on him. And if he wasn't aware of it, all the attacks on his wife over the last couple of weeks surely got his attention. I mean, it's something unimaginable to say nothing of threats to the lives of other Supreme Court justices. I think this court as a whole is a left-wing nightmare. Although I have a friend who likes to say there are now two branches of government, the Supreme Court and the rest, because only the Supreme Court is really standing up for the rights and principles of Americans. A lot really does depend on these few people, and I worry about it myself daily. Because you did have time both with the interviews and then on occasion having lunch with him, how did that change your view of him? The thing about Justice Thomas, as you alluded to earlier, he'll talk a long time about lots of things. You know, he has a huge amount of charm. One may not ordinarily see that based on the dark colors he's painted in on the left, but he has this incredible warmth and he's famous for this huge, rolling, peeling laugh. We caught a little bit of it in the film when he's talking to a few of his clerks, but that really dominates Clarence Thomas informally. And he's a very warm and funny person. I mean, people often say to me, how did I get him to talk for 30 hours? But in fact, it's easy. He has a lot to say. I mean, the average time of his response to a question was four minutes, not a soundbite. He likes to talk. He has a lot to say. Well, and I think in that sense, he has had a remarkably unique life. And I've always thought he was very, very smart, not just as a lawyer or as a justice, but that he thought about life. He thought about things in ways most people don't. And certainly when Calista and I had the privilege of spending about a half hour chatting with him and reminiscing and her telling him about the Vatican and what she'd be doing as ambassador and his kind of sharing his growing up and what it was like to be in the court. You really had the sense that he likes people and he likes the chance to sort of share his life. Was that sort of your experience? Yes, it really was. I mean, especially with young people. His favorite charity is the Horatio Alger Association, which gives support to young, talented people of all races. And when they come to Washington, he always talks to them a long time in his chambers and a lot one-on-one and helps these kids. And I think he really is interested, especially in young people, but he definitely wants to share his story and his sense of the world and really wants to help. I mean, on our film set, we had two young people, one of them, my son, and another production assistant who was a young Hispanic woman. And at the end of every shoot, Justice Thomas wanted to sit with them at lunch for an hour an amazing privilege. And he convinced our young production assistant to give up the film business and go to law school, something I think her parents should thank him for. I mean, it's amazing to take that interest. They were all floored, but it's many, many people have a similar story. He's definitely interested in other people and wants to bring his knowledge and experience to bear. Well, which is, first of all, a great tribute to your son and his associate, that obviously Justice Thomas thought they were receptive to having that kind of conversation. Well, that's true. And they really were. I mean, they were interested. They hung on every word. But I have a feeling the Horatio Alger kids are like that, too. Maybe not all kids would be, but many would be. And he has the ability to reach people wherever they are. I read over the weekend Justice Sotomayor talking about how 
in spite of all these attacks, there's a lot of civility and she considers Thomas a friend and that he knows the personal stories of every janitor worker in the building, knows about their family, cares about them. He feels he came from that kind of a world. Those are his people and they're the ones he relates to. So it speaks well for him. Let me go back to one thing that we talked about briefly, but you mentioned correctly that at the end of the hearings, the country, having listened to both sides, overwhelmingly thought that Clarence Thomas was telling the truth and that Anita Hill was not telling the truth. Yet the left is so relentless that by the 2020 presidential nominating process, you would have been destroyed as a Democratic candidate if you had not pledged loyalty to Anita Hill. Don't you find that sort of deliberate and relentless rewriting of history a little sobering? I absolutely do. I think that is a vital point. All right. They were two to one. And after the hearings in support of Justice Thomas and over the years, the left has been relentless until they've reversed it. President Biden, for example, during the presidential election, apologized to Anita Hill, which maybe he should do, but he never apologized to Clarence Thomas, which he should do too. But I think this relentlessness of the left is very significant. I mean, they want their stories out there and they will do anything to tell them. We have been weak in telling our stories. There are many, many documentaries about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I say is fine. It took a while to get one on Clarence Thomas. They tell their stories and they push them out and we do not tell ours. And that is on us, I believe, Newt. You know, we are not spending the time, money, and resources to do that. And if we don't tell our stories, the next generation will only hear the left's version of American history, the founding, recent history, from the Cold War to the Supreme Court. We need to do more to tell our story, or we cede it to the left, who are going to continue to be relentless. What is your next story? Well, we are lucky in that we got a generous multi-year grant to do a bunch of new documentaries, which we are deciding among, to tell the stories that are not being told. And our goal is always to reach the middle of America. There are some conservative filmmakers that do a good job preaching to the choir, which I think is useful. But I've always wanted to reach the middle of the country, and I was happy that this film and our others have been on PBS, maybe not full of Clarence Thomas supporters, but they need to hear these stories. So we want to tell some of these other stories that aren't told, too, about race in America, about environmental issues that you only get one side of. But perhaps as importantly, we are starting an incubator to train young right-of-center filmmakers because there are too few of us. The left has hundreds. There are 4,000 universities in America. Everyone has a film school. They graduate hundreds of people every year, each one, for hundreds of thousands of wannabe filmmakers each year that get sorted out. Maybe the top 5% or less make it in the business. We have no talent pool. We have no winnowing process. And that, as well as spending hundreds to thousands of times more on these things by their foundations and corporations and rich donors, accounts for the left's dominance of the culture over the last 50 years. So our part is going to be to train at least a few other conservative documentary producers that can make this kind of film, as well as making more on our own. Well, listen, you certainly have been both a trailblazer and a model. And I think the next generation of conservative filmmakers are going to look up to you as one of the great pioneers. And I want to congratulate you and Mark on both the documentary and the companion book, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, which we're going to have on our show page. 
And I really appreciate, Michael, your taking the time to be with us. Thank you, Newt. It is always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you to my guest, Michael Pack. You can get a link to buy both the documentary film and the book, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.